Praise God. It's great to see you guys. Uh, we're going to turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to ask you a question, and we're going to search the scriptures uh, today. And a question has been coming up lately, and I said, you know what, we'll just you know, do a program on this. And the question is, who is that restrainer mentioned in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? Or the one that hinders in the King James, or that restrains the NASB, or the one that holds back. There's someone holding back this mystery of lawlessness that's already at work that we manifested ultimately in the person of the Antichrist. And uh, it's been called one of the most enduring, enigmatic, exegetical, you know, basically problems, you know, as far as not that it's necessarily a problem, but... Uh, enigmas to basically riddles for many people to solve in Second Thessalonians or in all of Paul's writings because he talks about this restrainer and he states that, that they know who he is because they've talked about it. But we weren't there when Paul talked to the church at Thessalonica regarding who this restrainer is. And it makes for a fascinating study. It's not just, I mean, you'll leave here, I believe you'll leave here understanding who the restrainer is. Uh, it doesn't say this, I can't give you an Old Testament verse that says, this is a restrainer that Paul's talking about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. They have chapters back then anyway, but, you know, prophetically God would have known, right? But uh, we don't have a scripture quite like that, but we have one where I believe we could be very reasonably sure as to who it is, if not absolutely dogmatic, we could be quite sure, I believe. Uh, who is this restrainer? Go ahead and look at verse 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Go ahead and look at verses 6 and 7 there. And we'll read the broader context in a moment. And you know what restrains him. And he's speaking of the Antichrist, as we'll see in a moment. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6. And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. Okay? Now, there's a little bit more to be said about this, of course. But there's this one restraining the Antichrist. And there's a lot of different views on this. In fact, I gave a study... Uh, well, Chad and I did a little study. It was like, I don't know, that was like an hour long, right, Chad? Uh, yesterday, which will air next week. And I don't want to cover all that ground, but we looked at 10 different options. And at the end of the message, I had 10 minutes or so, Chad said, to show who it really is. And then I went through those 10 minutes like boom, 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 boom. So rather than going boom, 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 boom on who it really is, I want to take most of the service out here and talk about who the restrainer is. And I want to skip going through almost of the other alternatives because if you want to check out all the alternatives, just go ahead and tune into our podcast next week. Uh, that'll be airing next week, right? Tune in next week and we go through all 10 options uh, rather rapidly in about an hour time or so. Uh, here, we're just going to look at a couple of the most popular options, uh, but we're not going to look at them nearly as in-depth either. So it's not as though you're covering three options today. We're covering two very briefly, uh, the very popular options. And then uh, we'll ha handle the one who I believe it is, the restrainer is, in a more in-depth way than I was able to get into. So if you, you, you want to really get the full gist of this, you check out the podcast uh, next week. It's an hour on this, so it'll be uh, pretty cool to hear that as well. Who is this restrainer? A lot of different people say Paul, a lot of, you know, I'm going to start going through who says what and so forth, and I'm going to start doing exactly what I said I wouldn't do and go through all these guys, so I'm not going to do that. But they say a lot, it's a lot of different suggestions. But the two most popular suggestions out there among evangelicals seems to be uh, the Holy Spirit or the church. And oftentimes when someone picks the Holy Spirit or they pick the church, they often mean both of them together in some way, you know, uh, the church being filled with the Holy Spirit is what holds back the Antichrist. Uh, personally, I don't see the church being, I'm sorry, uh, in Revelation chapter 13, it says that the beast overcomes the saints, okay? Uh, and the church, while we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we have some power. We're not a political entity, amen? So it's not as though we're going to stop the Antichrist from rising. I saw one person years ago, I read in his book, and he has a lot of good things to say, but I disagreed with him in his whole premise and his whole book was this whole preacher rapture thing was that if the Antichrist arose while the church was still here, we'd all point out, hey, that's the Antichrist. I think that would go over well with the world, you know. Everybody's pointing out who's the Antichrist all the time anyway, right? You know, every president's been the Antichrist. 
by some people in some books and what have you. But, uh, so, but some say it's the church. Some say it's the Holy Spirit. So I want to look at those options briefly before I get into who I believe the Scriptures reveal it is. And I believe if you pay attention and really search the Scriptures with me, you'll at least find uh, there's a lot more scriptural evidence for who I will suggest that it is that's far more compelling than certain viewpoints. So first of all, I want to state that it really can't be the church. Why? Because, look at what Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now we request you, let's back up and get the context. Let's first read the first eight verses. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who poses and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now. So they knew because Paul just said he was telling them these things and they conversed about it, they talked about it, so that in his time he will be revealed. Also, I will say this, there was a first century understanding among the Jews, the second temple Jews in the first century, contemporaneous with this writing as to who the Jews felt was the main opponent that God was using to stay the devil in his work. It's kind of interesting. We'll get into that in a little bit as well. And you know what restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed. So someone is currently at that time and today until he's revealed and sits in the temple showing himself that his God is, rest is restraining, holding back Satan's work from bringing forth the Antichrist. Now, if God, I mean, Satan will know at a certain time that his time is very short. And Satan would love, Satan's tried to rise up Antichrist over and over again. He, could, he would want to pick a lot of different people, right, to rule the world and get dominance and so forth. But uh, God's going to allow it to happen at the right time, and he's going to allow him to choose the right man uh, for the job, who God knows heart will be hardened and be like pharaohs and what have you. But he says, and you know, verse 6, what restrains him uh, now, so that in his time we reveal, verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. I believe this is the same as what John talks about when he talks about the spirit of Antichrist is at work. And many false prophets had gone out in the world. And the, 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 the mystery of lawlessness, and there's lawlessness has been with us all along, but there is a spiritual, diabolical, incredibly demonic uh, uh, you know, in the spiritual world, law, uh, just lawlessness that's just ready to go, that has a hatred toward God and just a hatred toward his people. And that eschatological lawlessness that will be manifested in the end times under the Antichrist is just waiting to break forth, but it's being held up. It's being held up. It says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, notice it says now only what? He who now restrains. Okay, it's a masculine pronoun, by the way. Will do so until he is taken out of the way. Okay? Now, earlier when there's the restrainers mentioned, it's in the neuter in the Greek, which can refer to a non-personal being. Uh, but also, but later we find out that there is a personal being. So the first um, reference to the restrainer probably has more to do with the general restraining that's going on against this against Satan and what he's doing, and we, then we dial it in. It gets more specific. There's a specific person holding back Satan from revealing the Antichrist and ruling the world through him. And in verse 9, then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. So notice that he will be revealed, okay? And and it's going to be in the temple, uh, and that's very important to understand. And then when the Lord does return, it's going to be the first thing he's going to do, or the first thing mentioned here anyways, is that, is that he's going to destroy the Antichrist with the spirit of his mouth and uh, with the appearance of his coming, because he's coming in fire with his holy angels. Now, let's look a little more closely at this. Let's understand what Paul's talking about in regard to timing already, because he does bring up some time stamps 
that are important for us to understand. To, under, to get down the timeline as to what happens when is important here. And also, what is Paul talking about with the Antichrist sitting in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God? And how does that relate to who this person might be? These are huge clues, guys, as to what's he referencing and what do those scriptures have to say about a potential restrainer. Let's go back now to chapter 2, verse 1. Now I request you, brethren, to the church at Thessalonica, to believers, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our what? Gathering together to him. So this, the context here is in regard to his coming and our what? Gathering together to him. What do we like? What's that called with the popular terminology? The rapture, amen. The rapture. We're going to be caught up, amen, to meet the Lord in the air. The dead in Christ will rise first and then those who are alive will be joined with them. First Thessalonians chapter 4. So he's requesting uh, regarding his coming and the rapture. That you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a what? A spirit, that would be a demon. A message, maybe a false prophecy, right? Or a letter as if from us, meaning a forged letter or somebody claiming that Paul's teaching this, uh, an idea about the rapture that's false in his letters. Don't be deceived to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now he refers to our being gathered together to Christ as the day of the Lord. And he says, don't be deceived by three different means, any means, and then he specifically brings up a, a, a pneuma, a spirit, a message, or a letter as if from us, as though we're teaching uh, this. Then he says in verse 3, he spells it out, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come, for it will not come unless what? Well, what, what, wait again, what's the context here? What will not come? He's writing them regarding his coming and our what? Being gathered together to him, which he calls the day of the Lord. Throughout the New Testament, we're told to be looking forward uh, as the day of Christ. And Paul talks about the day of Christ or the day of the Lord over and over again. And here he says, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come, that is Christ coming to gather us together, unless the apostasia in the Greek comes first. If you have the King James translation, it says the falling away. That's what apostasy uh, typically is, and especially when it's used in a religious way, till the apostasia comes first. And the man of what? Lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Now, how will he be revealed? It says, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God. Well, he'll do that. Or object of worship. He'll do that. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as what? Being God. So before the rapture, Paul tells us, Two events must take place first. What two events? Falling away and the, and the revealing of the Antichrist in the temple. Good job. Out of the mouth of babes. It's right there. It's clear people will accept it. I was at a conference and I was talking to a very popular uh, pre-trib teacher. In fact, he has a prophecy program on God, God TV. And uh, he was one of the speakers there. And we were, Tony was with me. And we were eating. And... I was going through different passages because he has the pre-trib persuasion. And I took him to this passage and read it. And he goes, you know what? Every time I read that passage, I believe just what you're saying. That's what it seems to be saying. But then my pre-trib friends say, no, that can't be what it means, you know. And we just kind of chuckled, you know. It's like, well, it says what it says. Uh, and, and there's a lot of clear things in Scripture that just don't fit in what people, people don't want it to be that way. They want to believe that we're going to be taken out of here before things get too hot. And God wouldn't let his bride suffer, you know. So some say, you know, well, it's the church that's restraining the Antichrist. And after the church is taken, then the Antichrist will be revealed. But this is actually teaching what? The very opposite. Amen? In fact, the context is, because then he says, he goes on to say, do you not remember, verse 5, that while we, I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, listen. If the church is in view here, and it specifically means the church is what's holding back the Antichrist, it, it would be an utter contradiction one of the basic rules, and here's some things I want you to consider, just some basic rules of hermeneutics or biblical interpretation. 
is, we always say, context is what? Context is king. What's the context? And, and also, we say, Scripture is its own best interpreter. Amen? The Bible's best, the best way to understand the Bible is by the Bible. The Bible interprets itself so incredibly. But another rule of interpretation is you never readdress that which is clear and change the meaning or its apparent plain meaning in light of that which is obscure. You always look at that which is obscure in light of what is clear. So when I go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and I see Paul clearly saying concerning Christ's coming and the rapture and don't let anyone deceive you, it's not going to happen until the falling away happens first and the Antichrist comes. And by the way, when he, the coming he's talking about is not just him making a deal for seven years, right? It's in the middle of the week. His revelation of the temple, the abomination of desolation. Remember Jesus said when he's to his apostles, by the way, Peter, James, John, Andrew, all leaders of the early church, they asked him about the timing of the events and so forth. What will be the sign of your coming the end of the age? First they said, when will these things take place, meaning the destruction of the temple? And then what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And what did he put first? He, put a, he gave us a list of some things, but... The big events he talked about would be there'd be many would fall away. Then in verse 15, he said, they'd see the abomination of desolation, standing in the holy place, right? That's the Antichrist. Either himself being in the temple, which we definitely know he is from this passage and others before us, or setting up his image, because it'll be an image made of the beast according to Revelation chapter 13. The false prophet will encourage the people to make an image of the beast that both speaks and causes those who don't take his mark to be killed. So uh, there's this abomination of desolation. So what Paul has in view here is the abomination of desolation. And the rapture won't happen until after the abomination of desolation takes place. Until after the Antichrist sits in the temple showing himself that he is God. Now it's important to understand. When is it? Now we know there's 70 sevens, right? We've studied the first 69 sevens. They bring us from the decree of Artaxerxes to rebuild the temple in Nehemiah chapter 2 to actually the time that Christ was cut off. You just follow those sevens. They bring you right to when Christ was cut off, 69 sevens. But then there's one seven left, one week left, amen? One Shabuah, okay? 70 Shabuim, but uh, one Shabuah, one week left. That week is a seven-year period. Now, in what part of that seven-year period does the abomination of desolation take place? What, when? In the middle. Amen. In the middle, Brother Doug. Because in the middle of the week, right, the Antichrist breaks his covenant and he desecrates the temples. And he, he causes the desolation of abomination. What do we read about that? What book am I talking about now? The book of Daniel. Now, in Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation, by the way, he's talking to his apostles as though if they lived long enough, which they didn't, they would see it. He didn't talk about, don't worry, you guys won't be here at that time. God just wants to pick on the Jews, but you're, you're the bride of Christ, and he would never let you go through some trials. No, he doesn't say that. He says to Peter, James, John, and Andrew, you know that he's talking to them because of Mark 13, actually gives their names. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation. So he talks about there'll be this great falling away. Many will fall away. The abomination of desolation. Then in verses 29 through 31 of, chap of Matthew 24, you have what? Immediately after the tribulation, that's when he gathers, by the way, a cognate of the same Greek word, 2 Thessalonians 2 for gathering. He gathers the elect from the four winds of heaven. Well, who are the elect? Well, the elect just means Jews there. Really? Can you prove that? Well, no, but my theology says it must be. No, because just before that, in Matthew 22, Jesus talked about going out to the highways and byways when the Jews didn't listen to the gospel for the marriage feast. He said that they'll be encouraged to go to the highways and the byways. That's to the Gentiles, and almost every exegete agrees with that. And then guess what? He says, many are called, but few are chosen, elect. The elect right there in chapter 22, just before this, a couple days before Matthew 24, refers to all believers from everywhere. So the same order that Jesus gives us, falling away, apostasia, antichrist, second coming to gathers elect, is the same order that Paul gives us here. But he doesn't want us to be deceived into thinking there's a secret coming that's prior to all this. So what if I said to you, you know, uh, 
you know, my wife will be coming today, but she, uh, she won't be coming until after service because we got so much to do because of the men's retreat and we're so busy. And then I said, but, and, and, and I said, she can't come until after the service. Don't be deceived to think if you see someone else, it's, it's her. And I say, but there's someone that's going to be restraining the service from coming. It's been my wife that's going to be here the whole time. But then she'll be taken out. But she won't actually show up until later. Would you, would you be confused? You'd be utterly confused, right? Well, the pre-tribs are ignoring the first part, which is the clear part. We don't know specifically 100% definitely who the restrainer is based on the text. It's ambiguous to a degree if you just look at the text. So you don't take that which is clear and see that Paul says, don't be deceived, the rapture won't take place until the Antichrist comes first and is revealed in the temple. But by the way, the Antichrist can't be revealed in the temple until the church is taken first. Do you see how that's a contradiction? Everybody with me? It's the opposite. So one more time before we move on, Paul clearly says the rapture will not take place until the Antichrist comes first. So he can't be saying, but the Antichrist can't first come until the rapture takes place first and the restrainer is taken out of the way. If the restrainer is the church, then he'd be contradicting what he said in the first four verses. It can't be the church. So, and by the way, by the way, you don't have just that blatant contradiction, but you could read in Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 14, of a great multitude that no man can number that have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus from every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. Don't say the church is in Revelation. Revelation 13, 5 through 7, the Antichrist persecutes the saints. Well, does the saints always have to be the church? Well, it almost is every time in Rev throughout the New Testament, but guess what? I know it's the church because guess what? Scripture interprets Scripture, and when you get to Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 9, who's ready and finally made ready because of a righteous acts and ready to be, just before Christ's coming, ready to be rewarded, the bride of Christ. And she's given white garments, white, white shiny white clothing, white clothing in the Greek, which he says is the righteousness of the saints. So the bride, which is the church, is equated with the saints, okay? And she's still there at the end of the tribulation period waiting for Jesus to come back, and she's finally been made ready through tribulation. So uh, it's definitely not the church. But then you have this other interpretation, which is, well, it's the Holy Spirit who's holding the Antichrist back. It's the Holy Spirit who is holding him back, and he's the one that's hindering or restraining the Antichrist from being revealed. Uh, now, personally, on its face, if that's as far as that went, that interpretation went, I'd say I could see that as a possibility if I didn't have all the scriptures I'm going to show you in a minute. <laughs> I'd say, you know, it's not a bad, uh, a, it, it's better than saying the church, but then guess what? Those who say the Holy Spirit often in the evangelical church say, but it's the Holy Spirit in the church. And the Holy Spirit will be taken off the earth. Oh, really? Now you're, now you're making another step. The Holy Spirit will be taken off the earth. And the, since the Holy Spirit is in the church, the church will be taken off the earth before the Antichrist is revealed. Which, again, makes it contradict what? The first four verses of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Amen? By the way, when does the church get relief? If you're pre-trib and you know persecution is going to become more intense, pre-minute post we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, and we, we believe the persecution is going to get worse and worse, those of us who are futurists, right? Uh, and we're going to get our rest in time. When, if you're a pre-trib, when do you think you're going to get rest from persecution? When does a pre-tribber think he's going to get rest from persecution? At a pre-trib rapture, right? Is it when Christ comes back secretly that they feel the rest is going to come? They'll get rest from persecution, and they're raptured up, or... Is it when he comes back with his mighty angels of flaming fire to destroy the Antichrist? Is that when they get their rest? They, the pre-tribs believe it's first, earlier, right? In a secret coming, when he comes, like in a secret. But if you back up to chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, for after all it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. He's going he's gonna to get them back. Vengeance of mine, saith the Lord. And verse 7, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, and to us as well, to give relief. That's a noun, by the way, which is really interesting. We think you, I, in English, you think it's a verb. You know, it's a noun. We'll get relief or we'll get rest. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed, 
Oh, now we know when we get our rest. If your, if your pre-trib, it should say when he were, he's revealed secretly. That would be kind of a contradiction. But when he's revealed from heaven with what? His mighty angels in what? Flaming fire. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God. And to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when the church gets its rest from persecution, it's not in some secret pre-trib rapture before the persecution gets really bad. Because pre-tribs don't say Jesus is coming back with his mighty angels of flaming fire. That's not what they're looking for. They're looking forward to a secret snatching up, right? But that's not what the Bible teaches. It says he's come with his mighty angels of flaming fire to, to judge, right? To deal out retribution to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do not know God, don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the second coming, folks. That's what the church, by the way, taught for 1,800 years. There was no debate in the church pre or post because there was only the second coming. That's first coming, second coming. It's only the last couple hundred years that this debate's been going on that there will be a secret coming and a third coming. And by the way, well, we just believe in two phases of second coming, really. He comes back in the second time, according to you, the rapture takes you to heaven. And then it's not for seven more years he comes back again. That's really three comings. The Bible says he, put in, he, he appeared the first time in reference to our sin, but the second time it will appear the second time. The second time, not the second or third time, in reference to our salvation. And by the way, when will this happen? Verse 9, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Remember the Lord talked about how he judged the sheep and the goats? Then look at verse 10. When, when, the same time, when he comes to what? Be glorified in his what? Saints. On that day, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. Now, it's just, to me, it's just clear as day. Now, if this verse said this, he's going to give rest for you guys from your affliction in a secret rapture. Seven years before the, you know, the, the second coming, there'll be a, a, a first phase of the second coming or something. Then I believe it, you know? But we have clear verses that state when it takes place. Pre-trips have nothing close to what we have. And this is why the church never had two different views on the timing of his coming regarding pre and post. Now, what of the view that it's the Holy Spirit that will be taken out? Uh, well, there's a popular website called Got Questions, okay? It's a four-point Calvinistic website, so you have to be careful at times. But generally, it's a pretty good site on a lot of basic Bible questions. I actually applaud them for a lot of their work that they do when they're not getting into the Calvinism, which they don't very often, so I'm thankful for that. But they're also pre-trib, you know? And they have this view that it's the Holy Spirit, and then it's the Holy Spirit in the church, and so forth. And uh, they say quite, uh, right here I quote from that website, the secret of lawlessness is already working only it cannot be revealed until he who now withholds disappears from the midst. Kind of interesting how they translate that. Disappears from the midst. Uh, we believe this disappearing from the midst will happen at the time the church leaves the earth at the rapture. Now, they make it clear in their, their little article that they believe it's the Holy Spirit that's holding them back in the church. By the way, it can't be the church too because how often do you hear the church call a he? The church is the what? The bride of Christ, amen? But you can refer, and the Holy Spirit is referred to as a he. Okay, so I have no problem with saying, okay, the he, the masculine pronoun, uh, could have reference to the Holy Spirit as a possibility. So let's look at that. And so a lot of pre-tribs say, well, it's the Holy Spirit in the church, and he's holding back the Antichrist through the church, which now they're getting the church thing again. But now they have the Holy Spirit leaving the earth. I can't tell you how many pre-tribs I've read that say the Holy Spirit's going to leave the earth. And why do they want to leave the earth? When it, it just says, he, when he's moved out of the way, right? Because they want the rapture. This, they, want this, they want to believe this teaches the preacher of rapture. So they extrapolate and say, it must mean that he's not just moving out of the way, letting the Antichrist rule, but he's going to leave the earth. And since he's in the church, he's going to leave the earth with the church and the Holy Spirit's not going to be on the earth anymore. And I have a real problem with that. Because Jesus made it really clear, and there's a lot of scripture I go through with Chad in our podcast. So I'm only going to hit one real quick. Mark 13, 10, 11. Jesus is being asked about the tribulation period and it's coming, right? And the end of the age. And he makes it very clear that the gospel will be getting preached during the tribulation period. You know, you can't get saved but by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says you must be born again. You must be born of water and spirit. 
If you have not the Spirit, you are none of His. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the children of God. And guess what? Jesus said when you're brought before civil leaders, when you're brought before rulers during the tribulation period, don't premeditate what you're going to speak. Because why? The Holy Spirit will be there speaking through you. Listen to what he says, Mark 13, 10, 11. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. When they, they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the what? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will definitely be on earth during the tribulation period. It's so clear. We cannot hold views that contradict Scripture, especially such clear Scriptures as this. And by the way, it's before the great and terrible day of the Lord that the Lord pours His Spirit out on all flesh, right? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and so forth. Joel chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and so forth. Uh, you know, and by the way, the Holy Spirit won't be on earth. It's kind of hard to move an omnipresent God, okay? Uh, and as I said before, you can't be saved, but, you're bo- but you are born of water and spirit, Jesus said. And the Holy Spirit will be using people. So uh, I want you guys to understand now that these views are untenable. And by the way, there's a lot of extra pleading, special pleading going on, you know, of, of trying to get the church out of here to say more than the text is. So even if it was referring to the Holy Spirit, like I said, you're jumping. Let's say, let's say for the sake of argument, it refers to the Holy Spirit. It never says the Holy Spirit's leaving the earth or the church is leaving the earth. But it's not what it's saying anyway. Now, I personally believe, and buckle up, man, because we're going to go for a nice ride through the scripture, that the restrainer is the archangel Michael. I believe the restrainer is the archangel Michael. I did a teaching on this a long time ago. And, uh, but God questions says, really, it can't be Michael. You know why? Because Michael is not powerful enough to hold back Satan, it says. Let me, let me read to you what they write in their write-up. It makes much more, well, how do they know that, by the way? Is there a scripture that says Michael is, God didn't give him enough power to withhold Satan? No. But they state in their write-up, it makes much more sense to say that the Holy Spirit is curbing the devil than a political entity or even an angel. The Holy Spirit of God is the only person with sufficient supernatural power to do this restraining. Hmm, interesting. I have a problem with that. You know why? Because go ahead and look what an angel, and it doesn't even say Michael. Michael is the one angel that's called the archangel. But this is just another angel, perhaps. And look what he does to the devil. Tell me if he's not restraining. Go to Revelation chapter 20. The Lord Jesus Christ returns in Revelation chapter 19 before the millennium. That's why we're pre-millennial. Scripture is very clear. I love my brothers and sisters that have different views on the millennium. But to me, it's another real clear one. Chapter 19, Jesus comes back on his white horse with his armies of heaven, sets up his kingdom. And then the thousand years in chapter 20 follows his second coming when he, the kingdom of the world become the kingdom of Christ. It's pre Millennial, not pre-trib, but it is pre-millennial. And if you have a pre-trib view, praise God, we're on the same page there because us uh, post-tribbers and pre-tribbers and mid-tribbers and pre-rathers are pretty much all pre-millennial. He comes before the millennium. But look what happens when he comes back, what, he, what happens. Chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss. An angel. And he had a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon the serpent of old, in case you're wondering if he's really talking about the devil here. Yes, dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. But does it go on to say, but then wait, this angel was a weakling compared to Satan. And it pinned, and Satan pinned the angel. And the angel tapped out, but then the Holy Spirit came just in time to restrain him because only he had the power. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that. Verse three, and he threw him into the abyss. Look at this angel throwing the devil around. Man, shine those superhero movies. This is going to be radical. We get to see all this stuff, man. He threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. In fact, some even believe this is the restraining that Paul's talking about. This cannot be the restraining that Paul's talking about as far as timing goes, for sure. Why? 
because the restraining that Paul's talking about is currently happening right now and will happen until the middle of the what? Tribulation period, the middle of the 70th week of Daniel, the middle of the week. That th after three and a half years, seven, split up three and a half years or 42 months or 1260 days, middle of the week. Then whoever's restraining the devil frees him. And the kind of restraint taking place isn't even this dramatic right, as it is right here. This is like absolute restraint, right? We're just talking about restraining him from bringing forth the Antichrist. Is what this, whoever is restraining him now, which I believe is Michael, the archangel, is restraining him now. Now, as I've said before, uh, the, best the best interpreter of the Bible is the Bible itself. Comparing scripture with scripture, spiritual things with spiritual things, rightfully dividing the word of truth. So we need to say, what passages would Paul have in mind when he wrote 2 Thessalonians? He's talking about the abomination of desolation. Scholars will debate, and most will say that, you know, perhaps, you know, Matthew and Mark weren't even written at this time when Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians. I believe they were, because I believe when Paul refers to the word of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5 and talks about him and talks about the rapture there and the Lord's coming like a thief, as the Lord spoke, he talks about what the Lord revealed, and then he reveals a lot of things that are in the Olivet Discourse. So I do believe that the, the gospel of, at least of Matthew and Mark, perhaps, both of them were written at that time. However, I will say this. What Old Testament passages would Paul have in mind in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 when he's talking about the Antichrist sitting in the temple showing himself that he's God? The book of Daniel. Amen? So if Paul has Daniel in mind, which there's no doubt in my mind that he has Daniel in mind. The Holy Spirit has Daniel in mind. But Paul is also conversing, and he's filled with the Spirit, writing by the Spirit, but he's also conversing with people that he's talked to. Uh, many of the Jews understood who the restrainer was at this time. And if he had Daniel in mind, why don't we go to the book of Daniel and see if there's any evidence that there's a restrainer that's restraining Satan in the book of Daniel, especially in the prophetic books, especially in regard to the abomination of desolation, which Paul is speaking about. Go to Daniel chapter 12, please. Praise the Lord. I hope you love God's word. It is such an amazing, God's word is just amazing. Let's read the first part of chapter 12. We'll return to it in a little bit. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince, who stands what? He stands guard over the sons of who? Your people. Guess what? Guess what the archangel Michael's job is? Guess what he's commissioned to do? To stand what? Guard over who? Israel. Now, when the Antichrist appears and God allows him to sit in the temple and waylay Israel and go after Christians around the world, one of them, it's called the Great Tribulation and so forth. It's also called Jacob's Trouble. Brothers and sisters, who is the one that stands guard over Jacob or Israel? Who is the one that's protecting Israel right now from Satan, according to chapter 12, verse 1? Well, it says it. Now, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people. Okay? So he stands guard. He has a special job. He's the one that protects them from radical persecution being annihilated, being destroyed. Of course, the Lord God does as well, but he has an agent he's using and by the way, with the, with the personal masculine pronoun he fit Michael and angel? Absolutely. Absolutely. By the way, in, in Jude, it's interesting, that's where Michael is called the archangel, okay? Archangelos in the Greek, you know? Archangelos means chief angel or chief messenger, okay? Now, it's interesting because that title you don't see given to other angels. Although I do believe there may be other archangels besides Michael. Because go to Daniel chapter 10. Go to Daniel chapter 10. And it's very interesting when you read chapter 10. Because, you, you know, you start at the beginning of the chapter. Daniel's praying and he's, he's, he's fasting. He's humbling himself. He's crying out to God. To, because the, the, the weeks of Daniel or Jeremiah, the, I should say the years, 70 years of captivity had been fulfilled and he's crying out to God. Uh, we see that earlier. He was crying out to God. Now he's crying out to God again. And guess what? An angel finally comes to him. And the angel said, I heard your, your, hair, your, heard, your, your prayer was heard 21 days ago when you first started praying. But I was held up. 
because I was fighting against the Prince of Persia. Now, the Prince of Persia is a powerful demonic entity. There, are, there is war in the spiritual world. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Prince of powers and powers. The rulers of the darkness of the world, this world's spiritual wickedness in high places. Just like there's physical wars. I mean, there's wars in the animal kingdom. There's wars in the human kingdom. There's wars in the spiritual world. And just as God has defined lines and so forth, he's defined that even in the spiritual world. And this angel is, I was fighting against, God had dispatched this angel to speak to Daniel. He was being held up. The prayer was being held up by the prince of Persia. And by the way, keep in mind, there are different kingdoms that are subsequent to one another that rule over the, the, the civilized world at that time and over Israel, right? Babylon, right? What's the next one after the head of gold? The silver. Medo-Persia, right? The Persians. And modern-day Persia is, is well, you have Babylon, which is Iraq, but Persia is Iran right now. That's, that maybe it's that same demonic entity that's still ruling over Persia to this day, which has a hatred towards God people, God's people, wanting to wipe them out and wipe them off the face of the earth. But it's interesting. So this angel is duking it out, whatever they fight, man. Like I, like I said, maybe God will have this on videotape, you know. Heavenly, can you imagine in the heavenly just seeing all that? But guess what? He said he was held up until another angel helped him out. He was more powerful. And look at chapter 10, verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then, behold, who? Michael, one of the chief princes. So now he's one of the chief princes. So he may be one of the archangels. Okay. One of the chief princes came to help me. For I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now he comes to give understanding and so forth. Look at verse 21. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except who? Michael, your prince. Michael has a special, unique role to protect Israel. This had to do with Israel's prophetic future. With the Lord letting them know, letting them know that God was in control through this angel that was speaking to them. But Michael was the one that said, hey, I'll help you out. Don't worry, I got this. And I don't know if they teamed up. I don't know if the other angel just backed up and said, oh, Michael's here. See you later, you're gonna scram. Here's my big brother. You know, we don't know what that looked like, but it was probably pretty radical. So Michael plays a very, very significant role. Now it's very important to understand this. Ancient, the ancient rabbinical interpretation of Daniel chapter 12, verse one, is that Michael steps aside. He basically passes aside and allows Israel to be attacked. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Now at that time, Michael, that's the archangel Michael, the great prince, it's emphasizing his position, who stands guard over the sons of Israel, your people, will arise. Now, that word arise could be misleading because that Hebrew word that's translated arise right there could actually mean cease, stand, or stand down, or wait. I'm going to prove that to you in a minute. And then what does it say after it says that the one, the prince that is the protector of God's people, whatever he does at the end of that verse, uh, the first part of that verse, what is, what is the consequence of that? And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who was found written in the book, will be rescued. Now, isn't this interesting? Fascinating. Michael, the archangel, who stands, who's the great prince that stands guard over the sons of your people, as soon as he does whatever that word means in that context, all of a sudden, there's great tribulation like there's never been before. It doesn't sound like he's kicking the devil's butt here, does it? Doesn't sound like he's restraining anymore, does it? Right? Otherwise, he, he got his rear end whooped. Because right after it says, the one who stands guard over your people, whatever he does this, it results in them, the, the Jews getting waylaid. In fact, it's interesting. 
because this is exactly what he does. He doesn't fight anymore. He doesn't stand to duke it out. He doesn't get in, he doesn't restrain anymore. See, the point is, is that he's actively guarding God's people. But in the middle of the tribulation period, what happens? The Antichrist sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God, right? And then he kills everybody that does not worship him and take the mark of the beast. And Michael doesn't stop him from doing that at this point. And this word right here that's translated arise, young man, can you just arise please? Do you want to fight me? Is that what you want to do? No, I don't want to fight you either, you know? But to arise doesn't mean you're necessarily going to fight, right? And the word doesn't mean arise necessarily. In fact, what you could do, you can sit down now. Thanks, man. You're a good ariser, you know? Thank you very much. But the word oftentimes throughout the Hebrew Old Testament means to just stand still, do nothing. It means to wait, that word. So we translated Michael, right? Now, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will stand still. That would make sense. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until, uh, 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 until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Brothers and sisters, now listen very carefully to what's going on here. Michael protects them. Then he does something. I'm going to suggest at this point he stands still, right? And then there's incredible persecution like never before because he's standing still. He's not restraining anymore. Antichrist sit in the temple. And then they're being rescued in some way. Hmm. Now, by the way, I want to show you how this word, I've done word study on this Hebrew word that says this translate here to arise. Does somebody have a different translation than NASB? What's it say instead of arise? In the middle of verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1. Stands over your people will what? Anybody have a different translation? Come on, I know not everybody has NASB. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. What does it have? He stands guard over your people will. Everybody has NASB? Oh, well, that's pretty good. We're all on the same page. It's a good translation. You know? Anyway, let me show you from the Hebrew how this word is translated in, a di- in different ways over and over again. And I, th- I think it's very, very interesting when you look at it. Uh, listen to this. Numbers chapter 9. In the NSB, which most of you seem to have, uh, they want to celebrate the Passover. Moses commanded them to celebrate the Passover. But they have to be ritually clean. They can't touch anything that's unclean. Yet there's some folks that touched a dead guy. And they want to celebrate the Passover but they're ritually unclean. And they go to Moses like, what are we going to do? And we read in Numbers chapter 9, 7 and 8, those men said to him, though we are unclean because, a de- uh, because of a dead person, why are we kept from presenting our offering to the Lord at its appointed time among the sons of Israel? Moses then said to them, wait. Same exact Hebrew word, wait. It's translated wait there. Arise wouldn't make much sense. The translators of the NASB here said, well, he stands protection to protect his people. So arise might be a good translation. No, because look what happens. He's not doing much. They're getting their rear ends kicked. So it's translated, wait, and I will listen to what the Lord has commanded concerning you. So it's translated, wait there. The King James Version, by the way, translates that verse as Moses, and Moses said to them, stand still. Translates that same Hebrew word that we read in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, stand still right here. And I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, Moses replied to them, wait here until I hear what the Lord, it's translated, wait, uh, commands you. Another time we see uh, they're crossing the Jordan River and Joshua is told that God wants the people to know that God has put his seal. He's chosen Joshua to succeed Moses. So he tells them when he goes to the, with the, goes to the, the Jordan, he says in chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, uh, he says, now the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will be gone to exalt you in the state of all Israel so that they will know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. So you shall command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying that when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. So that word is translated stand still. My point is, you could very easily translate that. The one, Michael, who stands guard over, you know, the great prince who stands guard over the people of Israel, stood still. And then the people 
were persecuted or went through tribulation like never before. That would be the better translation by far. First Samuel, and this is Jonathan, he's preparing for battle. In First Samuel chapter 4, uh, verse 9, it says, uh, If they say to us, wait, it's translated wait there, until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. I'm sorry, it's translated stand right there. Stand in the context of stand in our place. King James, we will stand or we will stand still in our place. The Hebrew word in chapter, do you remember this one in Joshua chapter 10, verse 13, when the sun stood still? Check this out. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17. But it's not used of the sun standing still here. You'll see in a moment. It says, so the sun stood still. That's not the word there. And the moon stopped until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. The word stopped is the same word in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. That he who stands guard over the people, right, of Israel, the great prince, could be translated stopped. And then this all went down. I think it's pretty heavy when you think about it. How about when King Jehoshaphat and Judah were facing a great multitude uh, of Moabites and Ammonites? The Lord said to them, you need not fight this battle. Take your position and stand and watch the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear and be dismayed tomorrow. Go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. So what does he say? Stand and watch. The word stand. Brothers and sisters, the word stand and watch. The word stand, not watch, but the word stand. Just don't do anything. I'm going to take care of them for you. By the way, uh, the Greek term, remember the New Testament, the Old Testament was written in Greek. What's that called? Do you remember what that's called? The Old Testament that was written in Greek in, in Jesus' day it was already there. It's called the Septuagint. Guess what word the Septuagint uses right here for stand in the Greek? Okay? It's parakomai. And that word means to pass by. He who stands guard over people, just pass by. Boom, and let this stuff go down. And by the way, I told you second uh, century, second temple Jewish literature uh, shows that in Paul's time uh, that the Jews believed that Michael in his eschatological position would stop defending Israel at this time. And that was contemporaneous with what Paul wrote. And now go to the book of Revelation because I think it gets really clear right here. Revelation chapter 12, because then we see Michael at war with Satan. By the way, why do we keep seeing that Michael is at war with who? Satan and the top demonic principalities. Revelation chapter 12. Begin at verse 5. And she gave birth to a son, that is a woman. And the woman is clothed with 12 stars, the sun and the moon. She represents Israel. And the Messiah came through Israel. And she, that is Israel, gave birth to a son, that is Jesus, a male child, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Amen? So he ascended to the Father. Then the woman fled in the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God, so that there, that there should be nourished for 1,260 days. Ooh, what's happening? How long does a woman run into the wilderness for? 1,260 days. That's how many years? Three and a half years. Why would she run from Satan for three and a half years? Because in the middle of the tribulation, what's he going to do? The abomination of desolation, right? Now keep all this in mind, everything we've been doing. Keep your finger there. Go to Daniel chapter 9 and keep your finger in Revelation chapter 12. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. We read this. And, and he, that is the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. The Antichrist will make a covenant with the many nations, perhaps including Israel, for one week, but in the middle of the week, three and a half years in, 1260 days in, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So Paul is saying in the middle of the seven year period, in the three and a half year park, there'll be that abomination of desolation. And that Satan is going to make desolate slate the temple. That's when Jesus said, we see the abomination of desolation split. That's when Paul said that he'll sit in the temple of God, show himself that he is God. And that's when we read in Revelation chapter 12, right? Michael, the prince who guards, the great prince who guards the people of Israel will stand still, will stop activity. And then 
there'll be great tribulation like never before. Which fits exactly, exactly what Jesus said in verse 15 when he says we see the abomination, abomination desolation to take off. Then I think it's around verse 21. At that time there'll be great tribulation like there was never before and never will be after. Same sequence of events. Then you go to Revelation and guess what happens? Chapter 12, the woman goes to the wilderness for 1260 days. Well, what happened? Now she's being rescued by God because Satan is going after her, right? He's going after her. But guess what? When it says that they'll be waylaid, and there'll be this great persecution, it says everybody that's written the book, right? Is going to be what? Rescued. God prepares a way for her to be rescued from just utter annihilation at that time. Are you with me? For that last 1260 days. It fits like a hand in a glove. It fits like puzzle pieces. Then the woman fled in the wilderness where she had a place prepared, verse 6, by God. He's the one that rescues her. So that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Three and a half years. The second part of the week. Well, what does Michael have to do with this? Everything. Look at verse 7. And it gives us more clarity. It expounds upon what he just wrote. And there was war in where? Heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. There's, don't tell me that Michael can't whip up on the devil. If that other angel can, certainly Michael can, because he's the archangel. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. That is, Satan wasn't strong enough against Michael. Amen? So don't tell me that Michael can't do this. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found in, uh, for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan. Because right now he can still, he's kicked out of heaven, but he can still go back and forth. Now he can't even go up there anymore to accuse us, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard with a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell on, the, on, on them in them. Now guess what? Satan, who stands guard over people, he's going to cast Satan down. Mark Michael, the archangel, is cast Satan down. What's going to happen when he casts him down? What's going to happen when the Satan fills the Antichrist and uses them against God's people. Well, look at the next part of the verse. Verse 12, For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Then it says what? Woe to who? Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Yeah, he only has three and a half years. But guess what? Is Mike going to say, but don't worry, Michael, just like he kicked him out of heaven, now he's going to kick him out of the earth real quick. Does that say that? No. It says, woe to the earth, because he's not restraining him from attacking people on the earth at this point. Are you with me? Amen. Are you with me? Amen. Praise God. Then verse 13, and when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman. What happens right after he's thrown to the earth? He persecutes the woman who gave birth to the male child, but the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time, that's a year, and times, that's two more years, that's three altogether, and a half a time, that's three and a half years. Or as we read earlier, back up, 1260 days. So when he says, woe to the earth, Satan immediately attacks the woman, and for how long is that period? Three and a half years which fits the exact timing that Paul gave us with regard to the abomination of desolation. Satan's sitting in the temple in the holy place, right? For the last three and a half years, the restrainer isn't restraining at that time anymore. And Michael stops restraining. It fits very, very well with Rev Daniel chapter 12. He just stands still and says, okay. He, he, now Israel's going to go through a really hard time. But guess what? Those Jews who are seeking God's face, amen, he's going to rescue them. Now, it's interesting Verse 15, and the serpent poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. Maybe that represents soldiers or who knows, drones, all kinds of stuff, who knows. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up, drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold fast or hold to, I'm sorry, hold to the testimony of Jesus or holding to the testimony of Jesus. Well, what's he doing? How long is he doing that for? 
Chapter 5 of, verse, of chapter 13, verse 5 of chapter 13. There was given to him a mouth-speaking, arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he makes war with the saints and overcomes them, verse 7. It's this whole three and a half years where he's allowed to attack Israel. God does protect many of them, right? He's able, able to attack the church because he's no longer being what? Restrained. Now, what commends this viewpoint, I believe very, very strongly, is the fact that Paul is referencing Daniel in his context. And he's talking about a restrainer that restrains the mystery of lawlessness, restrains Satan. And then it's not until verse 8 that the lawless one, when it says, is revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. That's the second coming, amen. When he comes with the mighty angels and holy, mighty angels and flaming fire to destroy the wicked. It all fits together. There's not one thing I have to think like, oh, that just doesn't fit in. I feel sorry for my pre-trib brethren because there's so, much things, so many things that just don't fit in. You've got to try to make them work and they just don't. With our viewpoint, it's like, and that's because we have the historical view of the second coming being at the end of the age. And I'm telling you right now, if I had verses that showed that the Holy Spirit threw Satan down and the Holy Spirit ceased its activity regarding Satan and after he threw him down and, and that he was a prince over the people of Israel and, and then Revelation chapter 12, you know, and everything we're looking at, then I would say, oh yeah, it looks like the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't say the Holy Spirit. It does say that of Michael though, amen? The Holy Spirit has a, a far more important job, and praise God for what Michael's doing, but Holy Spirit has to, his job is to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, open people's eyes to the gospel and the beauty of Jesus and bring them to Jesus, amen? And Michael has an incredible job as well, but Holy Spirit is God, amen? Michael is a powerful angel. And you might ask the question, why does God allow this to happen, though? Why does God allow this to happen to Israel? in the end days. Well, right now, Israel just got in a big battle with Hamas, a nice big war going on there for a while. Thousands of missiles fired and so forth. And who does Israel primarily rely upon besides their own intellect and might and warfare? The United States, right? Are they crying out to Yahweh and seeking the true God? No, the Bible says they'd be brought back into the land in unbelief, but that God would break them. And Daniel chapter 12, right after it talks about this coming tribulation period, it's God allows us to happen to break them, to shatter the holy people so they cry out to God. In fact, listen to what chapter 12 of Daniel says, verse 7. I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, and he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. Sound familiar? And as soon as they finish, listen to this, and as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. You understand what's going on there? God's allowing Israel to be shattered and humbled so they could cry out to him and say, Yahweh, save us. You're our only hope now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, it says, they'll see the one whom they pierced. The Old Testament says this, chapter 12, verse 10. And they'll weep for him as one weeps for his only son. And a fountain of cleansing will be opened to them and they'll be cleansed from their sins. And then God will, that's when God inaugurates his millennial kingdom. It all fits together beautifully, guys. We have an awesome God. An amazing God. By the way, sometimes you wonder why God allows you to feel like you're being shattered. Why you're going through hard times. Like, God, why? And sometimes it's just our own dumb fault. Other times God is saying, hey, you know what? There could be a lot of reasons, but a lot of times it's God saying, you need to cry out to me. You need to seek me. You need to know me. You need to rely on me. Your very salvation depends upon it. Amen? And it'll allow us to go through some really hard times. How many of you have been there? Where you're like, man, I got shattered, man. But thank God, as the psalmist says, I was afflicted because it's through being afflicted that I learned your word. Amen? So praise God. Would you agree that there's a very, very, very compelling case that the restrainer appears to be Michael? <laughs> I'm pretty convinced. 
I don't say I'm 100% convinced because I always want to leave a little bit of room. I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm absolutely 100% not a smidgen of doubt that Jesus Christ is God. Just because it says it clear out over and over again. I don't have a verse that says, Michael is the restrainer. So I don't have that clear of a verse. But I have enough verses. We have enough verses that show that it, he definitely appears to be the restrainer. Uh, it doesn't seem like anybody else is doing that job. And it's right when Paul said that restrainer will let up is when Michael lets up. Amen. They cast the devil down. He doesn't do anything. Woe to the earth. And it fits all the terminology we're seeing in the scripture. So praise God. You guys love getting in the word together? We've got an awesome God. Let's stand. And aren't you glad? The Lord didn't have to say this to us, teach us these things from his word. He didn't have to put these things in his word. But he wants us to search his word like treasure. It's, it, it says it's, it's more precious than rubies and, and silver and gold. And we're supposed to search it out. It's, it's his word. And you know what? Jesus says that we're, he, we're no longer just called servants. We're, we're called friends. Because Jesus said that he shares with, uh, you know, that a master doesn't share with his servant the things that Jesus is sharing with them. Now, he's definitely our master, amen, and we're definitely his servants. But we're more than servants. We're also friends, amen, because he shared his word with us, and he wants to know his, us to know his truth. And we're not just his friends. We're also his, the bride of his son, amen. And God gave himself for us so that we could be saved. So if you don't know Jesus, there's some radical things coming up in the future. And if you have not been broken before the Lord, make sure you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself so he doesn't have to humble you. And how you humble yourself is you fall before him. It says, he that falls on this stone will be broken. You want to fall on Jesus, the chief cornerstone, and be broken before him and say, God, have mercy on me. I surrender to you. But if you don't fall on him, it says he'll fall on you and you'll be crushed. I prefer to fall on him for his mercy and be broken rather than be crushed into powder. Amen. So keep seeking Jesus. Trust what he did for you on the cross. He died for you. He bled, shed his blood for your sins. He rose and conquered the grave. If you don't know Jesus Christ, make sure you're following him. You've turned him as your Lord and Savior so you don't perish forever. Praise God. Let's give him thanks for saving us. Amen.